Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the executive editor of Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. And today, my guests are the co-directors of Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project, Michelle Stevenson and Joe Brewster. Michelle and Joe are a husband-wife filmmaking team, and their last film, American Promise, they documented their son and his best friend's 13-year educational journey through Dalton, one of the most prestigious private schools in the country. It was interesting to hear them talk about how that very Cinema Verte-based project led them to this new and very different project, filled with formal experimentation and mixing formats, all in an effort to bring to life the soul of this great poet, Nikki Giovanni. It was a great conversation about editing, archival, and generally the kind of artistic exploration and creative process of nonfiction filmmaking. I really love this film. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. And I was really thankful um, Michelle and Joe welcomed me literally into their house to sit around their kitchen table and discuss it. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I think Nikki Giovanni is someone that you'd want to explore. Is is She's fascinating. Her work's amazing. I think the fundamental thing for me, and I think it's at the core of this film, is, and maybe you can go back to the start of wanting to do this project, why, why was her story something that so you saw as a film that lent itself so much to the medium itself? Obviously, her is a fascinating subject is, is there, but there seems to be something right from the core here that you saw, you both saw as a movie, right? No. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we uh, were just coming out of a film that we had done that was uh, uniquely observational mm-hmm. and verite, was personal in terms of the camera turned on us and our family with American Promise. And that was 13 years of sort of intense um, work on you know, the craft of verite filmmaking. And I think as artists, we wanted to explore the medium and figure out what other kind of storytelling can we try to approach. So one, we wanted to do something that had archive, uh, archival material, because we had never worked with archive before. And then secondly, we thought working on a profile piece of someone that we admired uh, was going to be a way to spend time uh, exploring, getting to know that person. We initially wanted to work with uh, musicians, but realized that as independent filmmakers, starting from scratch uh, for ourselves, it would be astronomically expensive to go that route at some point, having to license music. And we've been proven right many times <laughs> later now that we've done a couple of things with uh, that is dependent on music. And so realizing that um, music was going to be a little bit out of our purview, at some point we were debating what we were going to do, and we heard Nikki on uh, NPR radio station on an interview. She was funny, she was smart, uh, interesting in her commentary, and we realized that she had had an impact on both of us at different points in our lives, her work. We said, why don't we do Nikki Giovanni? You know, And so that's kind of how... It started, but the intention was doing something different than what we had done, uh, exploring archive, but also this idea of doing profiles and biographies. We wanted to push back against um, relying on other experts to speak about the artist. We wanted the artist to be at the center and their work. I really wanted to do a music piece. Music is an entry to your soul. And so we thought uh, 
that it would be emotionally resonant and that we could play with the form uh, and use multiple uh, uh, tools to tell this story. Uh, you know what it costs to make a music uh, documentary? It's performance rights. Uh, it's dealing with uh, uncles that the musician never knew who have some ancillary rights. And, and we became aware of that in an ugly way. So basically, when we encountered the poetry of Nikki, not only do we get an entry through poetry to someone's soul, we also got the unique viewpoint of a, a poet, which is always to flip the world upside down and make you think twice about what you just heard. And so as a, as a, a teen, I heard Nikki and uh, she, she helped change my worldview. And some of that poetry is in the film. So we're, we're grateful. When we met Nikki, we really didn't know Nikki. We didn't know that we had a firecracker. <laughs> and, uh, or a comedian. I mean, she's a stand-up comic. So that was a nice discovery for us. I want to take two ideas here. Let's start with the archive. It's important. You want, you want to work with archive. That also is always tricky. Licensing, finding, is that something... I know that's an evolving process throughout, but the James Baldwin interview, did you need to know that you had these building blocks before? Well, the nice thing about archive in this particular context that doesn't really apply to music in the same way is fair use. Not that, I mean, we used a fair amount of it, but we were sort of taking that risk as we were working with the archive. Yeah, our process is not to be concerned about the cost. Mm. And that's which, was, which is where you ran into the problems with the music. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But what happened was we found an amazing archivist. And our, our process with archival was not just to rely on the archivist, but everybody on the team was an archivist. So if someone saw something online, on Facebook, or on Ulook, or whatever... They, they would come to it with the office. I remember some of the greatest finds were like in the middle of the night on Google and seeing some archival bit and then bringing it to the team. But our archivist was amazing. Her name is Hannah Shepard. She rocks. She also lives in, what, Ulster County. She brought us things that we've never seen before. It's so, so beautiful. We used them in another film. <laughs> <laughs> poetry i think i think what you had said about you know that being a way into maybe doing some of the things that you wanted to do with music um two parts to that one is in seeing the final results you can feel what you're talking about but i don't know that that's necessarily a one-to-one -one, you know that 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 you could get at because because poetry is something that i think you have i imagine nikki has to be a partner in this there's an element of how much you're going to read, how much is going to be there. You know, there's there's an element here. I'm not trying to say there's not a parallel, but I have to imagine trying to do what you wanted to do with music, but doing it with poetry is a, is, is a discovery process in and of itself, right? But let me just say this, because when, I, when we say music, uh, what is it about a music documentary that is interesting to us? Well, one of the things that when you have music i remember this piece it's uh bertrand tavernier it's uh 
Round Midnight, where uh, Dexter Gordon is playing the saxophone. And, you know, normally you have to cut that shit off about uh, 10 seconds in. They let that run. So it was up to the montage uh, to be interesting enough to hear the music. And so we and to wanted sustain, to, to sustain the audience. We wanted to do that dance. Mm-hmm. How can you uh, allow a poet or a musician to express themselves artistically and and not uh, dumb it down with uh, banal or uh, uh, or archival that's uh, not pushing the discussion further. So for us is how can we take archival and uh, and and add to the what was being said with the music or with the with the words of the poem. And I think we we did that. Well, there was a level of uh, there is a level of rhythm to the poems. Um, Nikki is a very rhythmic or orator in her poetry. So that gave us sort of a, a, a meter for the cutting. But the other thing that we were challenging ourselves, like we were very intentional about our constraints, like it's this, the five obstructions sort of uh, uh, um, premise where we were going to guarantee that it would all be in her voice and the different levels of uh, storytelling, the layers were going to be the verite, which you know, we had been working on for a long time, so we knew uh, uh, how to create verite moments. Um, her performances that happened throughout, you know, the, the 40 years, 50 years of her uh, as a public figure. Um, and then her poetry layered on top of this conversation with the archival. And when I, and big emphasis on conversation, we wanted the archival to be a call and response to what was being said and to the music and to the sound design, not an illustration of what was being said. So it was to amplify it so people would be thinking or we would be thinking uh, in the way that poetry affects us, right? So it was a way of trying to visually represent uh, what poems do for us with this archival. And you'll see, um, you know, Hannah Shepard and some of us found some things that people have never seen before. But we also plumbed um, archival that is known to the, you know, to our collective consciousness, whether it's the Emmett Till funeral, but it's seen in a very different way because of the poetry that's laid over it, or we've cut it slightly differently, or it's to something different in the music so that it's hitting a different emotional tone uh, for people who maybe are familiar with the footage, but somehow it looks fresh and new. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The other thing, too, that's interesting. um, We had a screening last night about people. One person um, mentioned that um, when we were talk, when we were looking at archival or the past, it never felt like a flashback. It really felt present. And I think that was another thing we were attempting to do in those that layering that we did to collapse time so that, you know, 28-year-old Nikki and 76-year-old Nikki um, are at the same level. It's, it, it, so, and that they're cumulative in their effect. So that was but also, something that we intentional about. Uh, why is that? Why doesn't it feel like a flash? Because the levels are talking to each other. So when Nikki says she has difficulty with her dad, and then we pop in James Baldwin, and she's arguing with Baldwin, the conversation continues. They're talking about 
civil rights in 1971. But you're thinking, Gus. And so that happens intentionally and constant. Every layer of archival, uh, performance, uh, verite, uh, speaks to each other. And then what we do, uh, and, and again, we didn't, we didn't come in thinking that we were going to do this. We developed this over a number of years. But then Although, you know, in our early proposals, we had this intention of layering. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the task to the editors. Give us these layers and let's see how we can make this dance happen. And it was unsuccessful for a long time, the experimentation. But, but let me just say this, that, that when, we, when these conversations are, are, are being had... Uh, visually, sonically, there's a uh, you know uh, there's there's the the music and the words, but but there we often uh, stump the audience by giving a, 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 a an opposite meaning of what she's talking about. For example, she says, "Can you kill?" And the question is, uh, we are we are uh, enticed to show an image. Of killing, but no, we show loving, and so the audience have to has to sit back and think, what does that mean for me? And uh, it really, uh, they don't have time to be thinking about flashback. They they got to think about what what does the juxtaposition of these two images mean for them? And maybe twenty people in the audience have twenty different thoughts, but the reality is they're not. Then it's 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 not your mother's documentary. I imagine what you're talking about here intellectually and the structure makes a lot of sense. I'm guessing for every one that works, there's a thousand that you try, and and sometimes they could play, but they might go in a meeting. You don't, you know, it's like because you're creating meeting in the juxtaposition. Um, not only do you have to find ones that play, and that that move forward, but that also create the type of meaning that you want. Right. So oh, that's, yeah. Oh yeah. This is not, this is not, you say it's not your, your, your dad's documentary. I imagine this is not a short edit either. No, <laughs> it's not a short edit. I, I remember we were kind of discussing sort of the layering and, um, back and forth with, uh, an editor. And at one point we knew we had to part ways when we saw in one of the verses in uh, Quilting the Black Eyed Pea, We're Going to Mars, uh, Nikki mentions, um, you know, bring a chicken in a, sh in a shoe box, right? Because that used to be what the travel, it, 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 it harkens back to um, the, the green book and traveling and making sure you had your food because there was nowhere to stop, you know? Uh, um, and when we saw a particular version with this particular editor, the chicken box floating, in outer space, that that was not going to work for <laughs> us. <laughs> and then you see, ultimately, what we did with that, that's the last verse in the film, the, the last poetic, poetry verse in the film of Going to Mars, when she talks about it, about that particular, uh, that particular line, we see her grandchild and her frying chicken in and her kitchen And people cry home. with it with, yeah. in that, in that particular scene so it's about the metaphor it's about yeah how do you make it visually poetic how do you make the film a poem you know and it it yeah it's a lot of trial and error because because what you had said um 
about uh, Bertrand's film with uh, Dexter Gordon, that sounds, that's as, as someone that loves that film, but also loves Dexter Gordon, that sounds right to me that you want to hear it go. But the reality is, and I think this applies to poetry and music here, is like you could put on the Dexter Gordon album at home and listen to it long. You could sit down with a book of poetry. You might even go listen to Nikki read it on the radio or on a thing, and you're fine long. There is that point in a movie, though, where you are just playing it long and it has a, you're just wallpapering it and you, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, it, see, to, to, you have to earn the right to play it long in a movie in a way that the poem doesn't. Right. It's uh, we're making a movie. There's dramatic tension. We build the dramatic tension by the juxtaposition of these two types of, uh, these two layers. Uh, and so the audience doesn't know what they're going to get next. And so what, what someone said, we, we showed this at Black Star. And, uh, That's a great festival in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. It was a black audience. It was a loud audience. And we got the audience award. <laughs> <laughs> but, but someone walked in the theater and uh, they said the entire audience was leaning in. Yeah. And they described this as a lean-in movie yeah. because you never knew what was going to happen next. It's either the archival, and these are, these are not big moments, but it, it could be Nikki talking about uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in a uniquely Nick, Nikki way. And, uh, and so it, it's sort of like that candy that you used to eat that would pop and your your brain would kind of explode uh this is the effect that that he was describing and yeah but and there, we I think in some ways there's also an element of jazz here like this the or what we call the black atlantic culture because like there's a play between the verite the archival the poetry that's layered but it's also sequential right there are times when we were watching and we said oh wow this poetry section is way too long we're going to lose people we're going to we're getting lost we're getting bored we have to tighten it or bring in there's something about bringing in the element of verite uh and the moment and the dramatic and emotional moment that that will that hits people so there's a rhythm of okay let's center Let's center right now in the collective the verite moment with Nikki, you know, uh, her her illness or or the seizures or her phone call that allow us to sort of take this journey with her and get to know her better. So we have an arc with the verite that's kind of subtle, but that's there that sort of brings people back and sort of strings them in and helps navigate the story um, that is juxtaposed between these poetry moments. Um, and I think that's because we're familiar with the emotional resonance of Verite and also just the power, because we did a longitudinal film of seeing people age. But, but also um, it's because we wait, had test this. screenings, Michelle. Oh, yeah, we had test screenings too. <laughs> and and we would we lose the audience. We were our own test yes, screeners too. I know you like to say that, but but we had test screenings where we, we could see the people's eyes roll after about 10 minutes of no verite. You can feel when something's playing, right? You can feel, yes, you can exactly. feel when, yeah. And so we try to be very disciplined with that. Again, because sometimes we see films uh -huh. that are just a little too long yeah. or that the edit somehow was not disciplined enough. And then the power of what you're trying to say is lost because it's too long. 
you have the power there, but if you just could it a little bit, you really could, you know. So we were very sort of intentional about that without, you know, yeah. How was, because obviously there's so much meaning in her poetry, and then what you're describing here is creating a, 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 a layer of meaning in, in, in your edit and in the, in the images. How was Nikki as a partner with this? Because, I mean, is there an element here of, is she the type of person that's just totally open to, you're going to go do your thing, create your own thing? Or is there um, a need as a collaborator? And I, I don't know if that's how you would describe her in the sense of, well, the, the the backbone of it is her expression, her art, and so therefore she needs to be part of, you know, how open is is she to what you're doing with her poetry and what with her work here? Um, Nikki had absolutely no input on what we did with her poetry and her work, and she was adamant about not getting involved. She says, this is your artistry. You can use the poetry the way you want. There are things that I won't do, uh, but do whatever you want with this and, uh, you know, go find whatever you want, whatever you can find in, what, in whatever archives that exist out there and, um, and I'll support it. So it's very interesting that some people say, well, Nikki refused to say certain things or discuss certain things and, uh, that is, uh, not mm, acceptable or untoward in some way. The reality is we've made many documentaries and some people say, like Nikki, uh, I can't go here, I can't go there. But, but she didn't say you couldn't go there. <laughs> exactly, but some, some documentary filmmakers, particularly in this new uh, uh, biopic, they, they don't tell you. They just don't show up. Or they show up late. Or uh, it's a passive-aggressive, but it's it's a, the the stars pow, have a powerful tool, or their producers in the background with final cut or some kind of input on these the, cuts to 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 impact uh, your final product. And so, but Nikki would say, I I tried to show her on multiple occasions a cut or a scene, and she says, mm, "Baby, you do you." <laughs> <laughs> And so that was the ultimate uh, offer or uh, to do, to be more expressive. Now that, that being said, she had very clear boundaries. So, and that, that's what we, that, that's what we worked with. All, well, well, I'd I say that know. all, she, but, I asked her, could she, could she, can, could we film her taking a shower in the nude? She says, sure. Yeah, no, those her her very tame moments. She was totally open to all kinds of uh, of uh, coverage. Um, but what I was saying is that every film has its own ecosystem of constraints, mm -hmm. and it's really about what you do with it. So, and us playing with the 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 idea of the audience knowing this these constraints that exist, as opposed to trying to hide them as a filmmaker, is is really for us in this case more about revealing character and the kind of person she is in her unapologetic ways than really about, you know, um, um, talking about our constraints. And I think it's disingenuous to think that because um, we sort of expose what she says is somehow these huge constraints we have that don't exist in other films, right? All films have their, have their constraints that people have to work I with. I think the issue just becomes when they want 
it's not about what they will or will not say or do. It's when it's when they want to control how, and that's the, so if she's open to how you're treating her art or what you do, then that doesn't, because I think that is the problem with a lot of these music exactly. <laughs> and even some of these sports ones. It's like, it's like, you can't do this. You can't show that far. You know, it's, yeah. there's a difference between I'm not going to talk about it. Then you, then you're not going to be able to do this with my poem. Cause I could, yeah, I could, exactly. cause to be honest with you, I could see someone, uh, if my art form is a, is a poem, I don't know. I mean, you guys, I mean, she trusts you. You guys did a beautiful job with it, but you know, using that as the bat, as the underlying thing to create a new piece of art, I, you know, that's, it's amazing that she's open to, yeah, to doing that. Exactly. That's awesome. And one example of that is uh, uh, some of the poems she refuses to reread from her revolutionary times. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, but you're not saying we can't use a poem. She doesn't want, you know, we want to construct something out of who she is that's not real. Uh, we found a way that in some ways, um, heightened the level of artistry, uh, brought in a whole other voice with Taraji P. Henson, uh, who was interwoven throughout the, the, the film, uh, reciting both the poems she didn't want, that Nikki didn't want to recite, but we also added other elements. So she kind of became uh, the younger sort of Nikki's voice that added another layer to the film. One layer I want to talk about, there's two layers before I let you go that I want to make sure we talk about, but one is the going to Mars aspect to it. Um, First, I want to talk, that is another layer. So I just want to talk about the creation of that. But I'm also curious, you were talking about, you know, knowing the, the kind of the pillars of what you want to build on. Was this something that happened in the process, the, the visual aspect that, that kind of, I assume it's visual effects, or is that something that also kind of came in the, in the process of, of, of doing it? Uh, it evolved over time. I remember early on, uh, there was a poem that she wrote for Oprah's magazine, and it was called In Praise of Feet. And she was asked to describe uh, a part of the human body that, uh, a part of the human body that was uh, uh, underappreciated. And she, uh, she wrote about black women's feet and discussed how those feet uh, were important for the building of this country. And we said, oh, that's great metaphor. Uh, but, but we discovered other poems over time, over the next year. Uh, and when we kind of lost our, our first editor, uh, we spent, we selected a few poems and we played with them. We brought in a, a, an AE and we designed uh, using uh, um, uh, archival. We're experimenting with the various layers by And that, verse. quilting the Black Eyed Pea poem, uh, and that work that we did brought us to tears. Yeah, we also, in the process, that first year we were spending with her, we realized how obsessed she was with space. It's not something that we knew, we, we sort of discovered along the way. She is literally obsessed with space. Uh, she knows Charles Bolden. He's a friend of hers, the head of NASA. Uh, she's friends with the uh, would black she drop, astronauts. Would she, drop, would she drop that in the middle of the film? I was like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that obsession with space is also a bit 
interwoven throughout her poetry from very young to older. There are elements of outer space and stars and dust that have been throughout. And when we had her read, I remember, I actually remember that, we had her read in her home in that library, uh, Quilting the Black Eyed Pea, We're Going to Mars. After she finished reading it, I mean, she was sometimes, you know, she'd at one point I think she was crying and, and there was a lot of emotion in it. Um, we looked at each other and said, oh, this is the spine of the film. This is the title and the spine of the film because it speaks to, again, it is also layered mm -hmm. and the sense of what outer space means, what, and then, but also this praise to humanity and the black community, you know, it's, a, it's just a great scaffolding for the film. Well, I, it's, when we screened this film in Washington, D.C., there were eight astronauts in the, in the audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are, are folks that she's built relationships with over time. But I, I also know that uh, that particular poem is, uh, I would say, derivative, but it inspired by Margaret Walker's, what's that poem, that famous, her most famous poem, For Our People? and the cadence of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's an amazing poem, and she read that for me on my first mm, interview. And it was such a powerful poem. And I, I was all, always looking to r replicate the feeling of that poem by another poet and her work, and I, and I began to see evidence of it. When when she was a young poet, she would spend time. I don't know. Margaret Walker was in Alabama, yeah, Mississippi, and uh, and so they spent a lot of time together. And uh, and so that was the perfect poem. And that poem uh, not only talks about her life, but our life, and and uh, our 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 country, uh, past, present, and future. And so we thought, oh, we got, we got uh, parallels and metaphor everywhere. So let's use it. And then we began to plummet. And we began to see astronauts and Mars and space creatures in every conversation. And you'll see it <laughs> in the film. The other piece, it's just extraordinary. And it adds, in the way you use it, adds another layer is, is that James Baldwin interview. Um, I mean, partially it, it's what she expresses there, but there's also one thing I really appreciate is that there's a dance going on between them that you incorporated into the rhythms in the conversation and that you're creating. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because it, it, again, beyond being just a very clear, use of her voice at that time and getting it really, but there's also, you kind of go beyond those things that she says there. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about it. Well, the question is, what do you expect when you hear, when you see and hear James Baldwin? You expect a sage to, some dro to drop some wisdom. You don't get that with Nikki. You, the sage attempts to drop the, the wisdom and then Nikki says, uh, don't drop that on me. Think about this. She flips it, yeah. It's funny because I've watched him in interviews. I, I, he's an amazing... I've watched him do that to maybe two dozen interviewers. <laughs> so it was... There is this moment of like, oh my gosh, she just James Baldwin, James Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> it's so 
true. That is so true. Yeah. But but do you know? And, and then imagine this: two gay artists with uh, 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 talking to each other, and she, and she is indirectly uh, accusing him of uh, a little toxic masculinity, and uh, these are people who are supposed to be aware of uh, those kinds of relationships. And he has to accept that. He eats the crow and, and then bounces back from that. And he bounces back there in a, in a beautiful way because there's a, a certain level of respect in their disagreement, which we don't see nowadays. Is you're, on, you're either the evil or, uh, or the good side. And they had a complicated relationship, a loving relationship that continued beyond that interview in 1971. But you have, you're the feminist of, of, uh, well, in the there, room. Well, we, we had a lot of kind of debate around this. It and, caused debate in the editing room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, it was very important because it's a two-hour interview. And she it is actually interviewing James Baldwin for the show Soul um, um, that was on WNET at the time in London. But we wanted to make sure, at least I wanted to make sure that her voice was centered, that this is not about James Baldwin as much as it is about, again, building block on Nikki's character and personality and who she is um, and what she was fighting up against if her best friend like James Baldwin is coming back with misogynistic sort of uh, uh, internalized stuff at her. Can you imagine what the wider world is, is, uh, is, is pushing on her as someone who wants to be her full self? So that was very important in how we built it. The second thing, there is a theme throughout the film that's about intergenerational um, intergenerational relationships, intergenerational dialogue, passing on to the next. So there was also, we built also those conversations, they have an arc too, where ultimately James Baldwin is the elder who, 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 who is inspiring her to continue, right, as, a, as, as, the, young, as the youth, um, in a way that um, she can be confident, you know, when he says, you know, our ancestors taught us that. But, and but you he's can also forward. asking you about the editing room. Right. So there was, there was discord and strife between you and me. Yes, there was. <laughs> he but, wanted more James Baldwin. But, but I wanted more but Nikki. Under, understand this from a psychological <laughs> point of view. James... Baldwin is anointed and like to see him diminished uh, in this way was hard for me and I had to come to terms with that to, before I accepted that she's right I, she doesn't get a pass <laughs> but it's also not about diminishing him it's about the complexity but, of but who I'm we talking are about beings. I'm I know, talking but the about notion my is, oh, whole... he's being diminished his yes. manhood is being diminished you know? <laughs> I am just saying that that is part of the the editing process, and so you could come to terms with some of your stuff. Absolutely, uh, it was a give and take. In terms of, uh... I, I think one of the, and I, I've only seen it once, and I'm, I'm going to watch it again before I write this up. But um, sorry, I can't think of it exactly. But I think one of the incredible accomplishments, as we talk about this, is you know that dynamic in giving that birth inside your film could take on a life of its own 
and finding so finding those moments that you're in and out you know and finding those moments where in her art or in her life to put that against and again, I wish I, I'm speaking a little out of school here because I can't remember, but I do remember those cuts being some of the most powerful, being some of the places where um, you're creating meaning in the juxtaposition. So, and, and I, I have to imagine because, like, that's in addition to a debate about what you're going to show, there's also an element of how is this going to fit into the large, you know, those two have such a presence on screen. The more you're letting them go, it's like. Mm-hmm. And I get how how does that get back to the art to to this larger story, right? Well, those are those are big moments. The audience almost always responds. They, you hear the audience talking to James Baldwin or about Nikki after she he comes after that interview comes on stage, like when she says, "I need love." That's almost you, oh yeah, everybody. Hmm, hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> or when she talks about. He talks about how the black church uh, is is different uh, from the white church, and how Jesus uh, was remade uh, for the black church. And now this is a interesting conversation because uh, while they are not atheists, they're 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 not. That wasn't a religious uh, couple talking. Uh, I would. How would you describe their? No, I mean, I uh, I was just going back to this idea. So so, we we each lay, so we had laid out all of the verite scenes to figure out how they were going to move, right? Uh, how were they were they were going to follow each other in this sort of tapestry? And the same with the James Baldwin and Nikki conversations. So. The conversations in and of themselves are really powerful, but it's because of where we place them, right? What comes before and comes after provides greater meaning, better understanding of interpreting what came before, like the conversation where she has about uh, 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 black men and white people comes after this painful sort of poem about um, her father's abuse, right? And so um, there's that emotional meaning that's then intellectualized in their conversation. The same with um, the poem Adulthood, where she's you know sitting in that chair in silhouette and she starts listing all the people who have been assassinated in the 60s, right? And what that means to her as a, as a black woman. We cut to James Baldwin and her talking about, are we gonna save America? Right, and it's again this interpretation. So the the conversation in themselves are powerful, but it's what's coming before and after that really sort of. So we helped try to put those in in that way. And you were you were talking about oh the the religious stuff. I mean the, the religious stuff is also placed as the film moves on. This I the the notion of death and mortality is sort of a another sort of layer, and the the spirituality of what it means to be black american and where that comes from becomes a a point of debate so it's also like we're sort of taking off to outer space and we have the tools and james baldwin provides that so he has more and more um space uh in their conversation that becomes he becomes really the elder by the end of the film and so that move towards spirituality is very interesting move uh and, and the reason is because 
we're we're redefining what what that redefining what that is, and so and what we are using in the film is the secular elements of spirituality, and we call that we mentioned it earlier uh, the the pillars of Black Atlantic culture. So that is uh, uh, a way of communicating. It's uh, rhythmic. It causes you to dance, and it's a call and response. It's a, ma a magnetic way of uh, communication that is African, but also now American, uh, Brazilian, Cuban, and and so you'll see that more and more, more rhythmic. Uh, more dance-oriented cutting, uh, more call and response as the, as the movie uh, proceeds, culminating in uh, the Afropunk scene. And so so we're not telling the audience this. Can you want to explain the Afropunk scene a little bit? Why don't you explain it? <laughs> um, it's one of the first things we shot. Yeah, it's one of the earlier things we shot, and we uh, worked with... Uh, the festival to get Nikki to perform and in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. And she chose that, uh, that seminal poem that she's really known about ego tripping, which is about, you know, black women's uh, power. Um, and so that culmination has to do with intergenerational dialogue, but it also has to do with celebrating uh, black women. But it also, we sort of in our cutting, again, play with time. So it's archival with current day people uh, dancing and in admiration of her, of her poetry um, over archival, um, uh, archival sound of her old rendition of that poem. Um, and so, there is um, sort of a taking off there because Afropunk itself is sort of an expression of her, of, of, of who she is also. It's um, a coming together of people who are unapologetically who they are and celebrating you know, their, um, their, their difference in community. And so um, we were very excited about that scene. It's interesting. I didn't realize that you had set up her performance there, but in what you just described and then her... I don't want to, she feels, it feels almost like she's the godmother of this. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, 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 yeah. and, and not just because of the younger people's response, um, but also just because of what you just described, the way you cut that in that way that uh, it felt like she almost gave birth to it to a certain degree. And I know there was a lot of, it, it, you feel that power in the, in what she just described. You can see it in the face of the audience. Uh, she walked through that audience. It was like uh magical uh they were crying they were taking photographs then you know that generation takes a lot of selfies <laughs> and so do you think she was aware i mean it, 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 the way it plays in the film it, it feels like a moment of her realizing how much i mean I, i'm sure she's aware of how much her poetry is meant to people but i mean that sense of of admiration on such a large scale at a at a festival uh, uh, that has like a cultural root to it. It that it felt to me, at least the way it was being cut, that that was a moment of real kind of realization of of what she's meant by her. Well, the interesting thing is that the film opens with a similar sort of scene at the Apollo, and uh, but if you know, look at the age of that audience. It you know, 
it skews towards 60. You, you film her at, like, I think it's a university, and it's very, I think a lot of people would be at a lecture hall type situation. I think that setting and the admiration and, and that kind of community was, is probably something she's very familiar with. Exactly. It's a little different the, than the 20-year-olds yes. uh, from Brooklyn with, uh, with uh, hoop earrings and green hair. Uh, that was, that was, uh, I think she was inspired by that. She had never heard of Afropunk. She knows it now. Yes, yes. No, I, I, I think we did sort of capture uh, this realization from her of, of uh, that impact for sure. I think she was a little nervous actually at Afropunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody, it's a different stage. Yeah. It's funny. She owns that stage and the humor that she owns the, um, I, I apologize. I assume they're college lecture type settings, if not something, she owns that stage it, yes. and her humor and the way she, it's, it's like, she's a true, prof- I mean, beyond her, her words, it's just, she's a, cl- she clearly in a, a very performance like sense owns yes. that stage. So let me say they, most of them were not colleges. What are they? They are groups of people around the United States that commission her. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, her her bread and butter uh, is the Chitlin Circuit. Oh, okay. And she has built that to a powerful speaking platform. You know, when she, when, when, when Muhammad Ali was canceled, uh, she went on tour with him to teach him poetry. And, uh, and they were on the circuit for about a year through little towns all through middle America, but primarily uh, towns with large black populations, many times universities, uh, uh, historically black colleges. And she, she built this following. She has uh, fraternities and sororities that, that uh, employ her on, on uh, these speaking engagements. Uh, there were a couple of thousand people in Philly, Philadelphia. And that was from uh, the that Delta. That was at the, the Philadelphia uh, Library, yeah, free library. But but she uh, she has this almost in every region of the of the country, and she started building this in 1970. I think it's a model for filmmakers. Like, do we have to kowtow to the Netflix and HBOs of the world? Now we're kowtowing now because they're they're very nice to us. <laughs> But, but but my point is for an independent filmmaker, why not build an audience? Why not uh, uh, build a see, see the yeah. understanding of that audience is, is important. And it doesn't have to be an audience that's broad. Uh, and so she did that and then, and then expanded from that. So she has all kinds of audiences in, the, in this film. But But when she was young and when she was canceled she she went inward and and created a supportive uh audience that sustained her uh for 40 years mm-hmm. well we've gone over i appreciate your time and, and congratulations on this movie it's really 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 wonderful um this is going up on december 11th will it be on it's not is it it's still in theaters at that point or is it on it's not on it's not any it's not a max at that point right no it's uh, Max is in Jan- in January, yeah. All right, so it'll. I, I know in December you'll still be able to see it here in New York and probably Los Angeles and in Chicago. Chicago, but thank you again and congratulations on the movie. Oh, thank, thank you. you, thank you. Mm-hmm.